Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Spoiler Alert. On this episode, we'll be spoiling a slightly less recent game for you all, uh, which is Assassin's Creed 2. Uh, but I want to say something before we continue, and I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, we will get to uh, God of War 3 and Final Fantasy 13 eventually. Uh, but, you know, uh, we gotta have something on the stick to, to you know, uh, to save up from the, for a rainy day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, because, you know, ever since we had the idea of a spoiler alert, we, we sort of wanted to do this these uh, sort of games, and, you know, Assassin's Creed 2 just fits right in with something we can totally geek out to, so, uh, yeah, and uh, that's what we're doing today. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let's just get, get uh, started. I, I'm thinking we should start on gameplay, um, because, mm. you know, uh, I'm assuming we'll spend a lot of time on Soria for this one, but uh, I'll just uh, start us off with, uh, with the whole new introduction of the economic system as compared to the first game. And uh, Randy, what do you think of that? Um, you know, the economic system was kind of fun. You know, it was like a nice little sidestep. For everybody who hasn't played it, um, well, I, I guess we should assume that everybody has played it. If yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, it it, it kind of plays like a, like a mini Sims-ish kind of game where you can upgrade um, the villa and the surrounding area of uh, Ezio's family. You know, it's kind of neat, and uh, and it kind of gave me... It, it kind of broke the pace of the game, but in the end, it was it was kind of flawed because... If you played the game right, you had more money than you knew what to do with by the mm. time you were done with the whole game. And so it, it kind of made it, um, I don't know, a little worthless. But it I, was mm. fun, but I, I think it would have been better if after points they were just like, hey, and here's your new armor, you know? But it, to be fair, though, I remember talking to you the first time uh, we played through it, and, and, and you, you know, had a real problem getting money. Uh, which I think I think at least it was you, and I told you how you know you, if you started off early and just focused uh, completely on buying upgrades for the villa, then after a while you just yeah exactly have more money than you know what to do with. So you know you do really have to know how to work the system. Yeah, but the thing is, like everything that you buy actually upgrades the value of the villa. Like yeah. every every, it's just uh, it's the only thing that really you lose money on is upgrading your. Um, is uh, repairing your armor and I think replenishing like your medical supplies but like every piece of armor upgrades the value of your villa, every piece of artwork upgrades the value of your villa, and so it's kind of funny, um, mm. you know, you're spending money so every every dollar you make you get like a dollar fifty back in return so, mm. Mm. yeah. And it's uh, it's uh, I suppose it's because you, you gotta equip your guards or something like that I, I think that's uh, part of the generalization, or, uh, but uh uh, I mean, uh, with uh, uh, with the meta gameplay with the villa and everything, I thought it was interesting that that you know when you bought uh, the new blacksmith or upgraded the blacksmith, you could buy more weapons from that blacksmith. So it sort of had a, had a more ten, 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 tangential reward for it. You don't you sort of noticed right away in the in the immediate gameplay what was going on for yeah, most of us. I thought it was definitely a worthy addition to it, especially since. Um, <clears throat> the last game you were so in and out of the Animus, this made you feel very much in the Animus all the time, and that's what gamers kind of wanted with this. Mm. Gavin? Um, uh, everything that you said seems um, pretty alright. I, I felt that as a mechanic it was streamlined to the point of obsol um, obsoleteness in some cases. It almost felt like Fable. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff to do. The reward for doing it just didn't seem to be equal to the effort put into it. 
Like um, uh, you have all this nice window dressing, but to the, but to the extent the game can be played entirely without even a without even um, an hour spent in the meta gameplay, which is fine. It just um, I just didn't felt that it was integrated enough into the overall experience to be as um, important as the designers appear to um, think of it as they um, as they put it into the game. So. That's a good point. I, I also felt that it sort of ended too quickly. Once you bought everything, then you'd yeah. bought everything, and you sort of just left that system behind and focused on the main story. And uh, mm. uh, while I do understand that you know they can't have it going on forever, I would have thought that it would have at least outpace the game. So you'd always have something you couldn't get by the end of the game. So you'd have to make the difficult decision as to what part of the city you want to upgrade, or, or you know what what uh, sort of uh, revenue stream you wanted to focus on. That would have been nice if you, yeah. yeah, if you had that sort of um, continuance continuance factor mm. outside the game with the meta gameplay. But like you said, once you end it, yeah, sure you can use the new buildings to leap onto a ledge and get another feather. But other than that, there wasn't really that motivation to press on mm. as much as I think they wanted there to be. Yeah, um, and I mean, well, part of this also with the economic system is obviously the customization of the character. Uh, of, of Ezio, and you know, uh, compared to the first game where Altair basically wore bloody war from the beginning uh, throughout the whole game, and he sort of didn't get any any sort of real rewards for completing missions. With this one, you get money, and you can use money to, to buy upgrades and and uh, and the new you know visual customizations for your character, uh, including you know paint or I mean uh, dye uh, configurations for the clothes and everything. So I thought that was kind of good. Oh yeah, I, I definitely like the armor of the upgrades and the armor customization. But there was something kind of, um, I don't know, some of the the little outfits and stuff that they actually offered you didn't quite seem to fit the character. I think, I think once you played as uh, Altair and started playing as as Ezio, you know, the white assassin armor to me felt like it was the correct one to wear when you weren't wearing the the you know Altair armor. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, with uh, with all the different uh, configurations of the die you could buy, you could buy. I mean, you could buy like thirty different configurations. Almost all of them were very colorful, except a few oh, yeah. that were white and black. And um, you know, it just seems that you know this is a stealth game after all. So I, I would have thought that you didn't want to look like a clown while you were murdering someone. But uh... well, I mean, this this obviously wasn't meant as a stealth mechanic. It was again an attempt to streamline and expand the gameplay out mm. to a, no, a non-traditional audience. I mean, um, I don't think any game is going to do the customizable wardrobe in a stealth game as good as Snake Eater. You're just not going to get that, and you shouldn't in a game like Assassin's Creed because that's a lot of uh, legwork that the casual gamer may not want to do. So as right. a as a more uh, casual mechanic, I think. Um, Assassin's Creed 2 did well with that, and sure, you even got a couple uh, achievements for dressing up in a certain way, which is nice. Me, I, I tried to play like Snake Eater. I tried to customize my wardrobe to the city's layout. Didn't really work, <laughs> but it was it was a fun game I made for myself, and mm. I really liked the uh, the flag mechanic where you can have uh, where you got after you completed the city, you got a flag, and then it would be harder for you to get um, noticed or um, pursued by the guards when wearing the flag. That was something mm. I liked. Now something a bit more to the uh, non-casual crowd but as a whole mechanic i mean a lot of this stuff was just to expand the audience and it fit Ezio because he's a he he's a fashionista mm. I, 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 he felt very he felt like a very modern renaissance man so fashion would be important to him much more than it would be to altair 
Yeah, you know I mean, what's you know, kind of funny that you said, though, Gavin? You said that it was a game that you made for yourself. Like, it was a fun game that you made for yourself. I think that's see, true for the Assassin's Creed games as a whole. And I think that's why, like, stealth purists did not like Assassin's Creed. Like, because it wasn't mandatory to be stealthy. You could be stealthy if you wanted to. You just didn't need to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you yeah, had yeah, to there make was, that there game some portions of the game. There are some portions of the game where you had to be stealthy, but as a large part, you were given the option to be able to handle yourself if discovered. So, yeah, I know what right. you mean. Yeah, I mean... I like the way that's put. Well done. I, I mean, uh, the, yeah, there were, there were uh, like, two or three side missions in particular where you sort of had to navigate the... I think it was Venice without being seen by rooftop, rooftop guards. And, mm. it, you know, that can be really difficult because they... It's not like they have a thin degree of uh, vision like Metal Gear, so... Uh, but, but, uh, but uh, you know, at the same time, you, you have this sort of... Uh, even if they see you, as long as you take them out before they get to call the other guards. So I think that's always, uh, you know, they, it won't count. So I think that's yeah. always one of, also one of the reasons a lot of self-purists purist, uh, don't like the game. And I used to consider myself one of those guys until I played uh, games like Assassin's Creed, so... What do you know? Yeah. It's it's definitely not Thief, I can say that. Even yes. Metal Gear even Metal Gear with Guns of the Patriots went the route where you can handle yourself if if caught. So I mean yeah, this isn't a stealth purist game, but like Randy said and like I initially said, it's a it's a much more wider um, experience that for it. Mm. I think yeah. it works. The the, the actual expansion packs, um, I can't remember which one, uh, I think it's actually the second of the two expansion packs. That one actually does require you to be a little bit more stealthy, and it's not one of those situations where like, oh you're seen and the mission's over. It's more along the lines of if you're seen you're gonna get like ganked by a ton of guys and the, your target's gonna run away. So it's not yeah. it's not an instant you're seen and then it's over. It's you're you're seen and then you're faced up against an obstacle that you probably cannot overcome and then you lose. So it feels more <laughs> natural than just like the old-fashioned uh, Splinter Cells where it was like three alarms and, and the game was over. Yeah, and you mentioned handling yourself if you're seen, and you know that's something that the Assassin's Creed series has gotten a lot of flack over, which is the combat system, and that it's too easy to just counter everything. And you know, to some degree, they tried to rectify that with uh, with the second game, where you could you know uh, use different kinds of weapons and heavies. You know, you couldn't counter heavies as as well as you could normal guys, and speed guys would you know counter your counters and and all that. But essentially, it boils down to just waiting for the enemy to do something, mostly. Hmm. So, I mean, what do you think of that? Do you, are you okay with that? <laughs> uh, I thought um, it was still a little bit broken. Um, not terribly. I mean, it, it certainly was an improvement over the first one, and it definitely wasn't the revamp that people were asking for. But there was still... Um, if you went in unarmed, you were better off that way. Like, if you were unarmed, you could, de-arm, or, you know, you could disarm people and then instantly kill them with their weapon. Mm. So... Yeah, you know, the counters, like, you might have had to counter them more, but if you went in unarmed, that that, oh. that fluke was still there. So, mm. yeah, the combat system was okay, but not as good as it should have been. Mm. Mopsy, you're throwing coins to um, to courtesans to guard your path or something? Oh, ex- exactly, drop. yeah. Uh, something <laughs> dropped. I don't think it was coin, actually, but, well, whatever. Uh, um, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I also like the, the idea of going in unarmed, Thought this, you know, huge guy with a with a you know pole arm or something, and just taking him out. Uh, it it sort of empowers the player as this really stealthy, acrobatic guy that can really handle himself in whatever situation. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I like the combat system overall. I think it's still very slow paced for the rest of the game. I'm gonna do a comparison here that's probably not gonna be the nicest one, and people will probably get <laughs> mad at me. 
but it felt a lot like Mirror's Edge at times. It's a game in which um, the combat's slow, and yet they shuttle, even when you even when it's not your fault, they shuttle massive amounts of guys your way in some missions, and you just have to wait, you have to waddle through five minutes of just wait, um, the waiting game, and hmm. just, uh, it it kind of devolves, that, um, and it's, it, it can be annoying at times, but overall I felt it was, of course, much much improved from the original, even though I didn't necessarily have a problem with the original. Usually mm. I just prefer to run away and then like do an assassin kill, either way. Yeah, I mean, I remember in the end sequence of the original where you had to run through uh, while there was a war going on, and you had to sort of run through this battlefield and, and stop at the checkpoints and take out like 20 guys. And I think, you know, <laughs> it was weird because that was the most horrible sequence in the entire game, and they chose to put that at the end. So, <laughs> uh, I'm glad they don't do as much of that kind of stuff in this one. Mm, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, mentioning things with with uh, with culture and with uh, how Ezio, uh, you know, prefers to stay fashionable and everything. I thought it was really interesting that they let you um, buy paintings uh, from art merchants around the towns, because you know these are you know famous paintings and everything and we've seen before, and some less famous, of course. But but it was interesting that they chose to do that and 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 especially feature the paintings in the puzzles and have you you know decode them and find hidden secrets and stuff like that. I, I really like the paintings, to be honest with you. Mm. As, a, as a former art miner, I was like, hey, I remember that painting! You know? Um, so I actually, I was one of the few guys that actually read every single painting when I got them. Um, and I actually looked through the entire art gallery. I thought that was very, very cool. Mm. Um, so yeah. That, it, that's that's it, my two cents. It, it makes sense as well as this, you know, the assassins being this secret... Uh, uh, organization or cult or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, it makes sense that they would be very much, you know, dabble in, in, in you know, uh, codexes and and hidden messages in paintings and um, and you know, generally be very cultural and very you know, uh, upper class, I, I should say. Uh, so it it really makes sense that Ezio would have an eye for that kind of stuff. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Gave the uh, the assassin order kind of a hoarder status that we all know that they and that any secret order should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which makes me believe I would really like to see um, an Assassin's Creed more along the lines of ancient Rome, considering all the art that was lost there. Or just go, to, um, you know, go um, give to, give these guys a period of time in which they they can create these pieces of art that technically you never got um, put down in history, and it gives them a lot of leeway in terms of the collectivist status of the game. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, rumors going around which which you know sort of era the next Assassin's Creed game will be, and you know a lot of people, including Michael Baxter, say that it's going to be the French uh, Revolution, and uh, and uh, and uh, some others think it's going to be you know ancient Rome or 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 you know um, what's it called um, you know around the 2000s or no sorry the 1000s in Rome. So uh, a lot of people you know. Um, you know, quote different sort of hints in Assassin's Creed One and Two, and you know a lot of these are found in exactly that the art and the the puzzles uh, involving art usually. So it's interesting to see that they sort of uh, you know uh, build the plot points of the next game through hidden messages in the first games. So it's not really clear, but if you want to check it out and, and find that information, you can. Hmm. Well, I think the uh, the whole I think it's so funny that so many people are like. Uh... I don't know, they, they kind of guess or they, they hope to predict the next setting for Assassin's Creed. I think that's what's so great about Assassin's Creed is because even if they finish the, you know, the Desmond story arc, 
that doesn't mean that that's the end of the assassins, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the um, you know, this storyline. Or it might be the end of the storyline, but it doesn't mean that's the end of the assassin versus Templar storyline. So there's always going to be an excuse to go into an animus to a different part of of history. So I, I'm really hoping that the Assassin's Creed, um, um, I don't know, genre stays alive for a while because mm. they seem to more than anything they seem to love to hit time periods and uh, locations that don't normally that aren't normally seen in video games and i think that's great and they do it really well as well i mean the architecture oh, yeah. the the geography they they really you know they hire a bunch of historians to do a lot of research and dictate how the game will look basically and 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 how a lot of the backstory will play out and you know if and I mean if Patrick were, were here he'd have a, a few cents on that one as well because he's an historian himself and he did a, a feature called Ricochet on on uh, Assassin's Creed One and you know it's just amazing how much is historically accurate. Yeah, which, I mean uh, they which, certainly take which, the. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gavin. No, uh, um, which seems to elude me was um, with all this this care put into it, I really wish that the games would be retrofitted, or at least the new games would be given this kind of encyclopedia um, side feature to it. Um, I recently played Africa, uh, just going around this safari game where you get, you're a photographer in the Serengeti, and you have this huge um, encyclopedia of all the information you gather and, and access throughout the game, and it really kind of adds the experience. And it's just a, it's just a opportunity for the developers to flaunt their knowledge. And I think for Assassin's Creed, it'd be really interesting to have a, you know, a comparison to the actual buildings next to the in-game textures. I just they, that would be that would be fascinating. They me. do do that though in Assassin's Creed 2 in some sense. They whenever you discover um, a new area or or a, 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 you know, a significant building, they they give you a sort of uh, Randy. Do you remember they give you a, a sort of option to go into a, like a select screen or something? And yeah, you, you hit know, the select button, it pops yeah. up like additional info. But yeah. it, like like what Gavin's saying though, it's not like it's readily there for you to just kind of go back and whenever. There's no like side uh, encyclopedia, kind of like the um, Metal Gear, kind of like the Metal Gear encyclopedia, yeah. you know. Yeah, and in that you actually had to play through the game and discover the different uh, segments of this encyclopedia. So you sort of had to, uh, you know, deserve uh, getting that information. Yeah, so dear Ubisoft, put that in your next one, please. <laughs> yep. Love, Elder Geek. <laughs> um, well, another thing about graphic, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about architecture and geography and how that's uh, historically accurate. Uh, you know, and, and in these things, because you are actually desmond in the Animus machine, um, you know, uh, accessing DNA memories, apparently, uh, you get these glitches uh, every once in a while where, you know, you get these... Uh, you know, pieces of binary code or, or lines, you know, flung across the screen and everything. And a lot of the times, if you actually stop to look at them, they, they do, do carry a bit of information themselves. If you take a screen grab, for example, and try to uh, uh, decode the binary codes that pop up once in a while, you'll actually find cool little, little you know... Um, you know, inserts. If you get, um, if you see some binary code pop up next to a locked-on archer, for example, you get information about the bow he's using and, and stuff like that. So it, it's quite amazing that way. Hmm. Wow. I actually did not know that. You didn't? Yeah, that's no. that's pretty that's pretty significant of them. That that takes a lot of effort to put that in. That's pretty. That's a that's a nice nod to the hardcore community right there. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, I wouldn't say it takes that much effort. Uh, I mean, I, I I I'm I'm pretty sure they just have the the. Uh, you know, it's dynamically woven into the design process. So I, I think it's uh, 
on their part, I don't think it's... I mean, it's it's not like it's, you know, you know, a huge amount of information. It's just usually just one word. But still, it's... But it, it's still cool. Yeah. I, I have some problems and some really, um, really good thoughts about the uh, the animus glitches in this one. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. It may make me look like an idiot, but were you guys able to manip- uh, manipulate the camera angles um, with the glitches this time around? In the original Assassin's Creed, if you operated the um, analog stick, when a, fl- uh, when a glitch popped up, it would switch the camera angle to a more up-close and dynamic shot, but I couldn't do it in this one. Were you guys able to do that? No, they, they took that, that out. I know what you're talking about. That was a it shame. Was like, it yeah, was a lot of fun. It- it was kind of a lot of fun, but there was, if for the first one, there was a uh, an achievement for it. Like if you, if yeah, you do actually, every single one. Yeah, and that was so annoying. Like if you just missed one, you missed the entire thing. So um, I'm glad they took that out. I mean, um, I thought it was fine as it is. I mean, that's just a little pet peeve of mine. I thought that was nice. I thought that was cool. I mean, it gave you something to do during cutscenes, which is always nice. Um, Still, but a good thing. I, yeah, a good thing I liked about the Animus this time around, though, is that they incorporated it as much more of a HUD, um, a much more of a heads-up display this time around, because um, the Animus would flicker and it would present information. Uh, Animus would flicker and one of the people in Desmond's reality would speak. So it was, it was a it, it gave a sense that you, you kept with Desmond at times. It was a nice reminder without having to go all the way back and abandon the gameplay. So it was a nice way of kind of bridging the two, uh, um, bridging the two worlds and just acting as a nice, subtle... Um, HUD, as I said. I think yeah. the philosophy behind directed cutscenes is totally different in the new game, in, in Assassin's Creed 2, uh, compared to the first one. Because in the first one, where you, when you were at the assassination uh, bureaus, you know, you could move around and you didn't really have to look at the guy. And because of that, you didn't really see any uh, significant amount of uh, facial anim- animation. You, didn't really, you couldn't really tell if someone was acting strangely or anything like that, besides the voice. And, you know, with this one, all of the important stuff is always in a directed cutscene with with a camera angle, you know, perfectly uh, positioned to give you all the information you need. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, I do say, I mean, yeah, it was cool to have interactive cutscenes in the first one, but you could miss a lot of cool stuff if you, if you, you know, uh, if you didn't uh, press in the button. And it's 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 a li- it's, I think it's a little more preferable to just have it a uh, more directed experience where you know they get to tell you uh, what they want to tell you and they can be sure that you got it that you know you did you did actually catch that. So mm-hmm. uh, I I do prefer this this new model instead. Mm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty concise there. No no response needed. <laughs> Uh, well, let's move on to the story, uh, because I think that's really the major point of this game and, 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 and the major point uh, that we'll be discussing. Uh, and, you know, uh, compared to the first game, you have uh, you had Altair uh, uh, in the first game, who was sort of this cocky, uh, you know, uh, arrogant kind of asshole. And Ezio is <laughs> the same way, sort of, but it's he's a little more charming and, and uh, you know, sophisticated. And talkative. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and Maltier might have Maltier might have been an asshole, but he really didn't say too much. Ezio, I, I liked him as a character by the end, but in the beginning, I was like, "Shut the fuck up!" You know, <laughs> he just talked so much. Actually, um, the one the point in which I I gave Ezio a chance was not because of Ezio, but because of his mother. Um, and it's uh, right when they meet Leonardo, I think, and it goes, um, and Ezio's like, "I have I have a." I have a mini mini of hobbies, mother. And then she goes, besides vaginas. Like, okay, yeah. I, can, I, can, <laughs> yeah. I can go into this. I can deal with this. Uh, 
I can deal with this character now. I can I can relate to this humbling of the mother. That that's uh, yeah. But I agree with you. I mean, Ezio does kind of have a have a headstrong, annoying factor to him in the opening. But you do eventually warm up to the guy. Yeah. In the uh, in the extended um, in the downloadable content, he actually has this. Uh, he has this diatribe where he kind of, uh, you know, lays out this speech towards the, you know, the city's inhabitants, and it's really, um, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's part of his character, and it certainly doesn't feel like part of like any assassin's character, like kind of pointing himself out and, you know, displaying himself so publicly. Like he outright, um, I don't know, he almost outright uh, uh, lectures the people, you know, of the town, and it's kind of like that's an odd, you know, choice. But um, other than that, you know, I guess I kind of like him, okay. You get the you get the sense that he wouldn't care to do that. You get the sense that he, although he cares about the fate of the world and everything, he wouldn't care to, to lecture people. Um, you also get the sense, you know, uh, in, in with both Ezio and Altair, they never really know exactly what's going on. So for them to direct other people, uh, mm. never—I I mean, it—it uh, it doesn't really fit their character, I think. Uh, yeah, it also doesn't kind of fit their their doctrine either, where you know, uncertainty is kind of the best way to go. Mm. You know that you don't really know what's true and what's untrue. But this, he seems very self-righteous. You know, and well, the, yeah, the the shift of the assassin code kind of switched between one and two. The first one was, you know, you had the tenants of. Um, uh, the tenets of subterfuge and all that, and this one, it's everything is true, um, no, um, er, nothing is true, everything is permitted, or something like that. So, I mean, there was a much more overtness to the um, to the Assassin's Creed this time around, literally. Yeah, I thought. Well, but so I that... think the strength, I think the strength of the protagonist of these games really relies on the supporting cast. Oh yeah. Uh, we didn't really, ha- we didn't really have a lot of people aside from Altair, and that's because uh, that's. Never gave him something to play off of, so I didn't think it worked as much as Ezio, who has this whole cast about him, including Leonardo, and most importantly in the opening, his family. I mean, that's what really got got to me is like this guy cares about his family, so um, that was a really nice introduction, and you just got this really nice just cavalcade of characters coming in to support him throughout the game, and I thought that was really what drove his character home and made it more of an exper- a narrative experience this time around with Ezio as opposed to Altair. Yeah, and you're you know, giving- speak- you're given oh, a go ahead, Matt. you're given a very good reason to hate the bad guys. Oh you yeah. Know, in in the first game, it's this sort of uh, strange conspiracy that you, you're, it's not really personal to the main character. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this game, it's it is very much personal. In fact, it's almost too personal. Mm. I, you know, I, I was gonna say, speaking of uh, supporting casts, like even outside of the um, uh, the uh, what you call it the. Animus. Uh, there, there's much more of a supporting cast this time around. You know, uh, last time it was just you know Doctor Beardley and and uh, you know um, <laughs> Lucy, and uh, and this time around there's there's a few more people and and they seem to make the they seem to make it more realistic. They seem to make it more real. Um, Although the but, the Animus cast really do uh, the Animus cast really do start off as just one stereotype after another. Yeah. Oh story, yeah. You have the annoying Brit. You have the cool. You have the cool chick, and then you have Lucy who looks like a fish in the in this graphical as the first time i saw her her like lips are twice the size of her face i'm like what's wrong she, with you she totally looks <laughs> better in assassin's creed one she totally looks bad better collagen, in assassin's creed. Um, and it's and it's weird because she's based on a real person an actress so I, yeah, right uh, <laughs> it's, yeah a really good um, actress yeah she's not bad at all she was hmm. really good at, uh, in uh, forgetting sarah marshall um yeah what was i gonna say though oh i i totally totally think that Ezio is being played 
Speaking of assassins, you know, of, of supporting casts, you know, I think uh, I think he's totally being played. Well, uh, Alpha Aeor is played in the beginning, so they, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a routine narrative place for them to go with these I guys. I think you mean Desmond. Yeah, I do mean De- I do. I'm sorry, I do mean Desmond. I, I totally oh, okay. think that Desmond is being played. I think that this is part of a further push by Abstergo to, um, you know, to delve in deeper to get more information that, than what they need. Mm. They gave you a big hint on of that in the first game, where <laughs> you have uh, Lucy who has uh, lost her uh, her, her uh, middle finger, I think it is. And she shows her folding it back, but apparently she doesn't actually lose it. Yeah, because that was a major. Uh, if it wasn't, um, that yeah, that was just a sign. But if she really lost her finger, then there would be a major point uh, plot hole in the game because yeah. Ezio, they, they do the fake out with Ezio. Like I'm gonna cut out your finger. Just kidding. We don't really need to do that anymore. Right. So, yeah. right. But yeah, <laughs> and at the also, end of the first game, I was, I was, it's obvious that she lost her finger. So, uh, and if you just took the first game, it showed her, and it was a nub, and they yeah, just right. replaced it with fully it back in the second but, game, which I thought was kind of lame. This is my main problem with that. Not that they sort of didn't need to cut off uh, Desmond's finger uh, in the second one, uh, but the, and and she obviously did. Uh, but that, you know, she works at the arch enemy of the assassins. Yeah, you don't think they or would they, like be? They wouldn't they say would... like, "Hey, you're suddenly missing your ring finger." <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Let's talk to you in the room with no windows, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's just so. I mean, they obviously know that that's a ritual for the assassins because they have the animus, uh, and you know, they know quite a bit about the assassins. So the fact that they would ignore that just doesn't seem real to me. Hmm. <laughs> You make good points. I don't really have a counterpoint here. I don't believe that it's um, that Abstergo is controlling Lucy and her team. I do think it's kind of a sort of ragtag versus David and Goliath story. I just don't have anything to support that. So <laughs> I, I think I might have to rethink my position on that. But I don't have um, anything to support mine either but a hunch, though, Gavin. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. either of us... We're, it's a 50-50 shot for both of us right now. Honestly, and then though, pretty much all my all my ideas and preconceived notions went out the window with the ending, with the god talk... Uh, with uh, the god talking directly to Desmond. I'm like, okay, it would have been cool because she looks directly at the camera and it's like, if you can program your name in at the beginning and she just says your name, you're like, oh, that would have been awesome. Like, yeah, it would have freaked me the fuck out. Would have been like, oh my god. Well, that, that you know, was to me yeah. that that uh, that god scene when I think it's Minerva is talking to you or Saturn or whoever the shit she is. Minerva. Uh, okay. That was it was Minerva. Yeah. That was one of the best what the fuck moments in video games ever. I think. Mm. I was kind of disappointed. I, I wanted um, the whole thing to be just bullshit. I wanted them to figure out that hey, actually nothing really happened and it, it was all evolution and all that stuff. But uh, I, I, after after the initial shock, I kind of got used to the idea of mm, cool aliens, a significantly you know more technologically advanced race, basically invented humans. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm glad that they kept it within the technological range instead of just going all theological and supernatural on our asses. Yeah. That was, that was well, nice. I mean, it definitely helped if you collected all the Adam and Eve um, little story movies. Otherwise, you'd, it would seem it doesn't quite feel as a whole ending if you didn't do that. Mm. Yeah, so if you haven't finished it, that's exactly what those little snippets all end up to. It's, uh, it's this animation of uh, two people, a woman and a man, uh, you know, stealing from a... Uh, Factory, and as they escape, um, you know, you find out that it's actually Adam and Eve, and they, and like the words come up on screen, Eden in binary, which is mm. pretty damn badass. Yep, and they steal the apple. 
so you, still, know, yeah. you still have that. See, you, I have have the a... core, you have the core biblical story right there, which is nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking... Uh, I've heard a lot of theories along this line, and I think that's pretty, you know, spot on, I think. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve uh, were mind-controlled, or all humans were mind-controlled by these guys. And when they stole the apple, they gained the knowledge, just like in Genesis, you know, with the eating of the apple from sacred tree. Um, so, you know, it, it's very, it's a very interesting parallel to draw, because when they stole the apple or the piece of Eden, then, you know, they gained the knowledge to know that their superior race mm. is really just superior because of technology, and, you know, there's no reason they couldn't have the same thing. Um, so, and I mean, you know, that makes them rebel, and I think that's really interesting. I, I think maybe, you know, in the third game or fourth game, we'll see, uh, you know, this sort of new... Uh, yeah new uh, band of human beings I don't know whatever you will get information about them splitting and one becoming the Templars and the other becoming the Assassins I think it's I, a I hell just of don't, a... I don't envy I don't envy anyone at Ubisoft now because they have shut the door on any previous notions about the game and they really have to go full stream ahead with this uh, yeah. with this um, te- uh, with this supernatural technological race thing and I just don't see how they can do it I'm like I have no idea how they're going to progress now so best of luck to them they really kind of painted themselves in a corner with this thing. If they don't do it right, it's really gonna suck. Uh, I don't know. I think that I think they've what they've done so far. I think is is amazing. You know, writing for a video game. I really do. Mm. Uh, most video games is just, and those are the bad guys, and we're gonna go shoot them because they invaded our territory. You know, I, I I think they they did something really amazing by tying together you know stories that for the most part a good number of of. Uh, people on the planet know about you know they know the basics of the Adam and Eve story and that kind of thing and most people know the basics of Greek mythology and they tied all of those together into a modern day kind of story I think that's fantastic I think it's yeah. uh, a very good re- description would be Dan Brown meets the Matrix yeah that seems yeah that seems pretty good I'm very happy that they're integrating the um the the capitalist war between Nikolai Tesla and Thomas Edison in there too because that's a very significant moment in history that seems to be glossed over by most people mm. so I'm oh, glad yeah. they're actually integrating these lesser stories too but I think a main point of the story I want to talk about because it's not usually discussed is um, towards the end Desmond begins to have animus sickness and uh, plays as Altair for a segment and I think that's a really good place for them to use because then in one game you can have four different um, pasts done at a certain point in the game. You could start out in Rome, and then suddenly Desmond has an attack of sickness, and then he's suddenly in feudal Japan. And I think that's a really good way for them to branch out and give a much more varied experience. But I want to know I what you guys think. Good, I mean, yeah. was that a pretty... Was that a good shock for you guys? I mean, that was probably my favorite moment in the game. It's like, holy shit, I'm Altair again. I loved that part, and um, I, I love the fact that they kept the, the map exactly the same. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I, I recognize it by the building placement of building placements alone. I'm like, holy crap! I had no idea. I still remember what this looked like. Yeah, I, I like that part of the game a lot, and uh, and it wasn't just a, um, um, Altair that he was kind of flashing back to either. Like you said, when he was a, like kind of awake, he was seeing like horses and knights and shit coming at him, you know, in the hallways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think this could lead to you know. Um, waking dreams of of him visiting different places in the past that he didn't, uh, you know, actually visit yet in the Animus. As long as it doesn't go Indigo Prophecy with us and have us do cutscenes against these hallucinogenic termites or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you guys have played. 
Have you guys played Indigo Prophecy? Am I the only one I have that's not. I, I really have not. I have played some okay. of it. Any, uh, the three people that have played Indigo Prophecy while watching this, or Fahrenheit in Europe, know what I'm talking about. So that was for you. That was for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think another interesting thing is, you know, they started off the game with this whole uh, justification for using the animus again uh, in training Ezio, or sorry, Desmond, to be an assassin. Uh, because they could, you know, transfer the uh, the muscle memory and all that stuff to him, uh, which I find kind of contrived. Uh, I think it would have been much more interesting to have a separate game where uh, where you know you play in current time or near future, or whatever the the world of Assassin's Creed is set in, and Ezio sort of you know you know building his character and building his skills, you know as if. You oh mean yeah, Desmond. Yeah, yeah, Desmond. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hate this whole <laughs> <laughs> Desmond, Ezio, Altair. Next time, then there will be another guy. It's just um, confusing. <laughs> well, you know, isn't you Desmond... know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, isn't Desmond voiced by Nolan North? He is. He is. Yes. Yeah. I can he sit out for a couple games. Just no offense to the guy, <laughs> or maybe maybe develop an accent or an inflection of some sort. It's just like I go. Uh, he manages to get all these triple A um, lead roles, and it just makes all my games mush together into this giant puddle of narrative. Here's <laughs> the thing with Nolan and he North always North. plays people that kind of look like each other. You know, yeah. Uh, Desmond and they kind of have the same personality, like... slightly douchey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slightly, but still kind of cool. I mean, he plays one role in all his games, but he plays that role, you know, the best. There's no. Oh one... yeah, and he admits that he med- readily admits that, and in his interview, he compares himself to Jack Nicholson, which made me want to punch him in the face. But you know, he, he, he's a personality you go to see Nolan North. I'm just like, maybe we can see Nolan North a little less often. Yeah, I think that's the main problem. I think he needs to stick with a few franchises, maybe, and just stick with a few roles and not branch out. Uh, I don't know if he he's doing the uh, new Prince of Persia game as well, is he? Uh, I don't I believe don't so, because that was just for the reboot. I think they're going back to Sands of Time developers, so I think they had someone else planned. I could look up, but probably not. You know, who, up, but... you know who was the best voice actor in this entire game? Was Cam Clark. The, uh, the guy oh. of Subject 16. He's the guy who does the voice of Leonardo, oh, and... Mm. He also did, uh, he was Kaneda in Akira. He's done like a thousand freaking things. He knows how to, does, um, to do uh, accents very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he knows how to... the accent work in this game for pretty much everyone was very good. I mean, they all spoke Italian English, but it was still, and they were able to inflect the, um, the Italian um, little colloquialisms inside the lines very well. Mm. That was oh, probably yeah. the, most, the most impressed I've seen because there was, there was no, um, what, what would it be, Arabic or, um, Old French, uh, Middle French for the uh, for yeah. Assassin's Creed One. So there was none right. of that there. So this is the this is a positive trend. I want to see. Go- I want to see keep going. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, as far as as far as Subject Sixteen goes, though, I I have to say, like, out of every character in the game, I felt bad for him. Like, I really felt bad for Subject Sixteen. Like, as you were listening to these tapes, as he's, you know, uh, slowly or quickly losing his mind, that freaked me the fuck out. Mm. It was like a really good audio log, or um, goes back to the old PC days where most of the fun story was just uh, was just this collectible um, supplemental audio packet that you receive in game that you can play while um, just going around in the world. And yeah, that was that's 
it still is awesome. I, it, I want more games on the console to do that because it, it's amazing. It, it calls to mind the, uh, the audio quality of the audio tapes in, in the original Bioshock. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Although I think I was more scared by Subject 16. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I wasn't really scared by him, but I definitely felt for him. There was a lot of empathy going for the guy. I was... I, I kind of felt like, you know, I don't want Ezio or Desmond to become this, to, to, to you know, be like this in the future. Oh, see, I want him to become like that. In no, the I do. Like, I do. I do want him for story development, but, you know, um, I want to play this, you know, badass assassin, not this jittery little freaked out guy, in, you know, in the fetal position <laughs> corner. <laughs> this, uh, uh, he almost Gollum kind of guy. Yeah. Hey, it's a great opportunity for character development. Give him kind of a post-traumatic stress disorder kind of thing going on with the animus. Although, wait, Subject 16 is dead, right? Or do we not know? Because it would be really cool for him to show up. The amount of blood he painted the, the, his room with in Assassin's Creed 1, uh, significant, to say the least. <laughs> maybe he's just a hemophiliac. I, 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 re- I, I really wish he would show up. Or maybe, like, he can, uh, maybe Desmond or one of his assassin memories could encounter a sort of virtual representation of Subject 16, because that's a character I want to meet face to face now. I I think we've had enough of them in audio logs. I want a a real in game model of them. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah. It would be really funny if he looked almost identically to Desmond, too. Well, he kind of creeps you. I'm father. Uh, he he couldn't know. he couldn't be like a brother or something. Uh, he would have to be a father or a grandfather or whatever. So could be a cousin, like a distant cousin. No, because Desmond has to be uh, has to be directly. Um, uh, you know, I mean, he has to be a direct descendant to to access the animus uh, memories. Yeah, but you could well, still I mean, be a direct descendant of somebody and still be cousins with someone else, though. Sure, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, those could be a direct. Re- there's no direct relation between subjects. There's just a direct relation between the subject and their ancestors. So there doesn't right. have to be a direct inner-subject relation. So this guy doesn't have to be even r- remotely related to him. Yes, but you, right, could, so. you couldn't feature him uh, in you know an animus episode. You couldn't you know uh, you know flash back to his life as Desmond. Mm. That's oh that that is true. That is yeah. correct. It would be it would be really interesting to see like uh, you know if. If Subject 16 did not have the same ancestor as Desmond, if he had, you know, what other assassin was Subject 16 attached to? You know, like, can Desmond at least, or can Ezio or some other past-slash-future assassin, you know, encounter that guy? You know, he played... He played... You mentioned earlier that he's the same guy that played Leonardo, so could mm-hmm. he be actually a descendant of uh, Leonardo da Vinci? Oh no no I'm sorry I did not mean Leonardo da Vinci in the I meant Leonardo as in Leonardo da, the Ninja Turtle. Oh oh <laughs> from the, okay from the cartoon do you remember the old cartoon? Yeah might I, not do. Have I do the I same do one, oh no it was I the did exact same voice actor. You, you shouldn't have mentioned that when we're discussing. <laughs> I, you know what it didn't even bit, that was a bit mis- misleading. I I totally apologize it didn't even it didn't even occur to me but yeah you're absolutely right it was not Leonardo. Although... The, Although Randy, I I would agree having the Ninja Turtles in Assassin's Creed Three would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that and Mars Mice. <laughs> Just every anthropomorphic cartoon show from the 1990s shows up. That yeah. would be fine. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Ubisoft, pay attention. This is what we want. This is what we'll sell. 
Now, is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft? I've been I saying it, Ubisoft for years, but it, it, been... it changes by the person. Even the even the uh, even the employees pronounce it differently in interviews. So as I long mean, as it's like U or as long as it's an U sound, it should be fine. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you know you avoid having the uh, Ubisoft. Yeah, you you avoid having the immediate comeback joke uh, being in. No, you be soft. Oh, That's lame. Uh, <laughs> this is why Mobs isn't our comedian, our site comedian. Not at all. No, not even close, man. Uh, I think we're a bit <laughs> off track, though, Mobs. What, what else do we have on the block? To I, I think uh, you know. I wanna I wanna discuss further this whole idea because you know in the end sequence when you finally kill um, uh, the Spaniard, the Spaniard, yeah. <laughs> Uh, You're gonna kill the Pope. I, I I had no idea that was one of my fantasies until I until I played it. As I, you know, the up. moment I, I the moment I jumped off that rafter and like landed on the Pope and jabbed a knife in his neck, I was like, oh, this isn't gonna do well in religious groups at all. <laughs> but no controversy. It was like, yeah, it was like Persona Three. You have a game about teenagers shooting themselves in the head post Columbine. No one does anything. So as right. long as it's in the game and like like twenty hours in. It should be fine as long as it's not sex. So what do you, I think yeah, I need to plot out the controversy chart. I think I need to just give. I need to for the developers' sake chart the controversy spectrum just so they know exactly how to put in all the good stuff without being on Fox News. See, that's what they needed to do. They needed to show a little man love between him and the Spanish <laughs> after he became Pope. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, he, you kill the Pope uh, or the Spaniard, and uh, and you know, uh, go into this room, and uh, the uh, what's her name again? Uh, really, oh, but a really Minerva. nice, really nice level transition though from the um, from the Pope uh, from the really nice pristine Vatican hallway to this very dilapidated kind of alien machine hallway. Very mm-hmm. nice. Level design transition there. Just want to point that out. Really pretty. Oh yeah, and I love the fact that that it's right underneath, you know, uh, the you know the church the in that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Of course. Vatican. So fucking great. I, I, what's it I'm called? Pretty the, sure it's, there. it's it's right after the the uh, what's it called the papal uh, conference room or something. Uh, no idea. No idea. Yeah. You know where they have the mural in the wall or in the roof, the famous one. Ah, never mind. Uh, well, Sistine, Sistine Chapel. No, that's not. No, that's no, not no, it. no, no, no. That's not it. Um, well, I, I have no <laughs> idea. Yeah, I am so Lewis. bad when it comes to Sans Italia architecture. I am not an expert. Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> damn uh, you! He needs to play the game. That's what he needs, needs to do. He really hasn't played it yet. I yeah. t- he loved the first one, and he's like, I just haven't gotten around to playing it. Yet. I'm like, you have no idea how much of a a, a perfect sequel that Assassin's Creed Two is. It's probably one of the best sequels. You know, ever made except for Uncharted 2. Hmm. You know, hmm. it can't hold a candle to the classic sequels, but it's still good. Yeah, but I mean, I as far it's... as like sequels go, like most sequels come out like a total crap. It's like an instant, you know, crank out just to kind of cash in. When this clearly was not the case. Yeah, I mean, uh, also you know, with Assassin's Creed 2 and and, and Uncharted 2, uh, the difference is uh, with Assassin's Creed 1, they had a lot of problems. And they fixed all of them in Assassin's Creed 2. Almost all of them, at least. Or at least, yeah, and, everything was tweaked for the better, at the yeah. very least. At the very and, and and in, you know, Uncharted 1, they didn't really have any problems. <laughs> and in Uncharted 2, they 
didn't really fix anything, fix that much because nothing needed to be fixed. So, you know, if you want to judge the sequel as something, as an improvement over the previous game, I think, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed is 2, 2 is definitely the superior sequel. Hmm. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, in terms of coming from, um, coming from a much, or making the most improvement, most yeah. definitely. At least of this generation, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but back to uh, back to the story. Uh, with uh, when you are in the uh, room with uh, Mira, and she sort of lays out the whole deal uh, for you, and you know, uh, you know, uh, Ezio is standing there questioning everything, or actually Desmond, because you suddenly take control of Desmond in Ezio's body, uh, which is kind although, of... although although that was a nice little bit of self reflexivity. Not uh, the director dress towards the viewer was nice, but when she was talking about Desmond and Ezio was like, "What what's going on? Who is Desmond?" Yeah, yeah. just Who like is Desmond. I like that little. I love that little yeah. bit of dumbfounder. I love when she was like, "You be silent. You're not you. You're just the vessel, and your part is done now." It was kind of like, "Shut mm. the fuck up, Aunt." You know, I'm talking to the person <laughs> in the present. I, I really think that was one of the best what the fuck moments in in the entire in, in video game history. Yikes! Yeah, I do. I, these are big words you're throwing around. These are no, these dude. Are I big. I seriously yeah. agree. I, I think you know he's understanding the point because the moment she said Desmond, you were just like whoa. <laughs> and I didn't mean to sound like a stoner right there. Oh, you sounded just like uh, what's his face from the Matrix. But anyway, uh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh oh yeah. Um, wait, was wasn't Gavin? You, you were saying that that uh, you you also thought it was a what the fuck moment. Yeah, and I passed the point along to you. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. About that. Um. Yeah. So yeah. It'll it'll be interesting for you know the sequels this the whole um, the whole uh, Greek slash Roman god kind of thing um, was touched at in the beginning in the in the first Assassin's Creed with uh, with the naming of Altair, um, you know Altair being the being the um, being okay. Zeus's eagle you know being Zeus's personal messenger and and uh, and deliverer of of pain kind of and thing and also just Arab for eagle. Right, and also yeah. just Arab for eagle. So and Ezio, like, it's is Italian for eagle. So right, yeah. right. Um, so pretty soon we're just going to get a Native American assassin named Eagle. Just, <laughs> well, just I like, actually kind of I brought, run out of synonyms. I I brought that up actually in my little article uh, that uh, about uh, the etymology of Assassin's Creed, um, and I actually found a Native American or an Indian name for um, somebody that actually served the exact same purpose as Zeus, but also named, you know, but means eagle. You know, so um, yeah, I like how they consciously name their their characters in this game. Very, you, very consciously name hmm. their characters. Do you perchance know uh, what French is? What eagle is in French? Um, I don't know. Um, I I don't know if there is a French name for eagle. Um, oh, there's got to be. I, I could check it out for you though. Yeah, sure, cool. Uh, well, I think we're gonna end at that point, really. Um. Uh, I mean, I'd be interested in, in seeing what the time period the next game is set in and uh, what well, language you wanna, it do you is. Wanna, you want to offer our own opinions? Do you want to see? Uh, do you want to sure. do sequel propositions to end it? Sure. Go ahead. Cool. Okay. Uh, I've actually had this one in the can for a while. I want to meet Ubisoft. This is how much I want to happen because <laughs> there have been hints throughout the games, even in the PSP game that's absolutely terrible that no one played for good reason. Um, there's hints at Grigory Rasputin. Uh, which is the turn of the uh, 20th century Russia. I think that'd be a really good, a really good place 
for Assassin's Creed 3 to take place. You got a really nice mix between supernatural and emerging technologies. You have a really beautiful architecture, especially if you keep it during the winter months. Russia and Russia in winter is gorgeous. It's really nice. It's very colorful. It's a very just it's a level designer's dream. And there's a lot of good possibilities for story there because Gregory Rasputin is still creepy. It, history really has kept him as one of the ultimate baddies. I mean, Hitler, Hitler, Hitler's gone. For history majors, Hitler's like pittance. When you come out to get against Grigori Rasputin, there's no one cooler as a villain. <laughs> and I think if they just implement him correctly and give him that supernatural chance that um, even skeptics think he had, he would be the ultimate villain of this generation. Absolutely. So Ubisoft, give me Assassin's Creed 3 in turn of the century Russia. No. I'm I'm not perfect in, in Russian history, but it wasn't he the uh, the uh, priest of the uh, uh, Orthodox Church that was you know sort of Nazi on on his uh, you know literate uh, following of the Bible. Um, yeah, uh, he had many roles. Uh, his most significant one was an advi- um, an advisor um, slash um, vizier slash healer t- um, to the royal family. So it was his manipulation of the royal family that everyone believed actually um, destroyed the Russian Empire. So, or destroyed the the royal family of Russia. So mm. that was that's what he's main of. But yes, he had a priest role within an, uh, within a very stringent literalist church. So that's another one of his fronts that they could be used. I think it w- would also be really interesting if they did something during the height season of the Ottoman Empire. I think that you know it, it kind of it would kind of resemble Assassin's Creed Two. But if it would be, you know, in Eastern Europe or in or in Russia, then it could be, you know, really interesting. Cool, Randy. Randy, you got any ideas? My, um, I don't have any any location ideas, but um, you know, like I said before, I did that that short piece on the etymology of Assassin's Creed. I do think that Lucy is going to end up betraying Desmond, um, just because Ubisoft is very consciously naming all of their characters. And it just so happens that you know Lucy um, is de- you know is derived from Saint Lucia, who was you know killed by getting stabbed in the neck. Hey, hey, you know. Also, also very important. She was the character that always put the fo- pulled the football away when Charlie Brown tried to click- kick it. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. Um, so I, I really do think that Lucy is going to end up betraying him. The name Rachel itself, Rachel being the the um, the gorillas cool girl chick. as as she's yeah the cool chick as she's been referred to even Rachel the name you know Rachel means that you know a trap you know a type of snare um, so I, I, this whole situation and plus that that other guy that uh, Desmond is with the British guy he's totally a dick so it, it, <laughs> every, between the naming and just the personalities of the people there it seems like Desmond is in for a trap so I do think that Desmond is going to be betrayed I don't know what you know time periods we're going to be seeing I think. You know they they've announced that they're going to be going back to Rome and stuff for another Assassin's Creed game, but it's not necessarily going to be Assassin's Creed Three. It might be Assassin's Creed Two. Um, you know, like I said earlier before, Ezio's fun time in Rome um, <laughs> <laughs> as he as he looks up the, for more um, burial sites of the the twelve Greek gods and goddesses. Was it twelve or eight that they had in the garden? Uh, I think, it was, I think eight. it was eight. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to be digging up the other seven you know, um, uh, burial places of, of these Greek slash Roman gods. So I don't know where it's going to be, but I think that's going to be the premise of it. Yeah. I'm de- Okay. So if Ubisoft, if you can just combine all of our ideas into one amazing game, that'd be, that'd be great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, 
I think another thing you mentioned how you know you mentioned earlier how you thought that uh, you know the assassins with Lucy and Rachel and the British guy were in league with uh, with uh, what's the company's name? Observo. Observo, yeah, or the Templars, really. Uh, I think. Uh, I don't think they're in league with them, but I think they are using it now. Basically, going to, uh, you know, uh, betray Desmond. But I do think that oh, yeah. they are enemies. Uh, so I think can... I think the yeah, the best thing for Desmond to do in the future would be for to pass alone after, because uh, definitely I agree with that. They're more likely to betray him for, for their own means rather yeah. than a, a, any sort of alliance between these two ancient uh, evils or yeah, okay. because, rivals. Yeah, yeah, because really, you know, if, if they're not. You know, uh, Absurdos rivals. Then who is? Because they gotta have a rival, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there you have it. There you have it. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we're done. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with uh, some sort of game. Which game that will be? I am not sure. Uh, uh, but keep you know, stay tuned. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.